welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton, your host. Today, we're looking at uh, the readings for, uh, at least a couple of the readings for All Saints Day, observed. And we have with us Dave Peterson, and welcome back. Thank you. So I'll go ahead and read the gospel reading, Matthew, and then as we're going through, you might want to, um, as we're discussing the gospel reading, then we'll bring in some of the other texts as appropriate. Sound good? Yep. All right, here we go. So it's Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All right, so context, what are we dealing with? Uh, well, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Um, is there a sense in Matthew's gospel that not only is Matthew, and I know you don't like like focusing just on one uh, author of you know one book, um, but there is a sense, right, when these men are writing, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that they are for particular audiences immediately, but then also beyond that, is there a sense that you know, Matthew has not an axe to grind, but he has an argument to make, right? That Jesus is the promised Messiah to the Jews. And so, first of all, he has to make the case that he is a son of David or the son of David, the promised son of David. And and secondly, that he is the prophet like Moses. So, is there a sense in which what we see kind of being carried out is highlighting the ways in which Jesus is the prophet like Moses. Does, um, does that make well, sense? I mean, I think, the, I mean, I think the Beatitudes, um, I don't, I, I, I thought where we were going with that is that this sounds like Proverbs, right? That well, you it, have does, it does. It does. Aphromistic say, right. So, and, but it um, sounds like the, the Psalms as well, right? Well, well, right, right. Any of the wisdom literature. Right. But, but I think in, but right. So the Proverbs also have the kind of parallelism of the, of Hebrew poetry that we that we're more familiar with the Psalms, but um, this does read a lot like like the second half of the Book of Proverbs, mm -hmm. uh, particularly chapters ten and eleven, where there's um, a lot of the uh, what do they call that the uh, the the parallelism is opposite. I can't think of the yeah, term. Yeah, um, I don't know. 
contrasting or something, right? But that's actually the easiest one or the most uh, the most common one, right? So yeah. you have these opposites set, you know. Uh, so the the righteous don't walk in the way of the ungod, the counsel of the ungodly, or oh, that's a psalm, isn't it? Well, anyway, <laughs> but but right, uh, they're they're definitely. I think this is very much wisdom literature in any case, mm-hmm. and I guess uh, so. I'm not. I, I wasn't. I think that's right on. I was gonna. I was gonna make that. I was gonna try to make that point, but I. I'm not sure where. Where do you see the mo? I mean, I'm not against the Moses thing. I just wonder what you were. Well, thinking. I mean, you know, he. So if you think about our Lord's birth, right? Um, it, it's similar to Moses. Yeah, right? but Matthew doesn't record it. That's Luke. Well, he records the fleeing, right? Oh, and oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, yeah, right. right. And then when. He, I thought you meant to be drawn out, and yeah, yeah, that's right. No, he does. You're right. And when he comes back, you know, it's it's all those who sought you, uh, all those who sought to kill you are dead. Yeah, just like with with Moses when he flees. Um, and then yeah, you have I mean, there, it's not like an exact parallel. No, I mean, but, in some cases, right? You so the transfiguration, Moses's face is transfigured, but all of Jesus is. When Moses goes up onto a mountain, he is taught. When Jesus goes up onto a mountain, he teaches. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah. you have some of these. I mean, again, it's not an exact parallel, but it, do you think, like, in the expectation of the Jews, they were thinking, well, he's not like Moses? Um, or how is he? Like, they're looking for how he's like Moses. And so Jesus, because this is the major promise in right, Deuteronomy 18, that. Right that a prophet like Moses would arise. And so Jesus also, so I'm not saying these things didn't happen. Obviously Jesus does these things. And uh, I mean, in a sense, he is not in a sense, he is really the fulfillment of Moses, right? And his, his, that, that promise there. But do you think like the way that these are recorded is meant to, to kind of demonstrate that? I mean, so you have all of, Really, all of the Sermon on the Mount is um, like not one-upping Moses, but but saying you have heard it said, but right. I say to you. So yeah. it's it's like intensifying Moses. Maybe I'd say it that way. Yeah, I like that intensifying Moses or distilling Moses. Yeah, right. Because and I mean, it's not distilling Moses; it's the opposite. I mean, right? Because Jesus is actually the source, right? Um, but but right there there is there's definitely a relationship. You're, you're absolutely right, and uh, yeah, those are great. Those are great points. I like that particularly. I like the uh, Jesus goes up to the mountain and teaches. I think also, you know, um, you know, this Jesus speaking as one with authority is a callback to Moses as well, mm-hmm. since all the other prophets are derivatives of Moses, right? But Moses is a derivative of Jesus. And so you, you've got that, all that. Yeah, I think that's great. Now, is there any sense, I mean, and I didn't, to be honest, do much looking into this, if at all. <laughs> but I'm wondering, um, is there a particular use of beatitude, like of the makarioi in you know, saying blessed are in the Old Testament that is unique to what Jesus is doing here. I'm, so typically, if I'm thinking just of the Psalms, right, you have um, a promise of kind of earthly blessings that go along with, um, you know, blessed are those who um, seek after God for they will have these earthly things. And here, it, it seems like we're not talking about the normal things that people would say blessed are. 
Right. Well, sense? right, right. I mean, well, so let's get into them a little bit. Maybe that would. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, that's where they're, they sort of proverbic or, you know, uh, God, my, my, well, I mean, they're I, arguments, they're arguments, but they're also right. They're the, the, the they're this whole reversal of fortunes thing mm-hmm. or they're, this, they're a, a particular kind of argument called an enthymeme. Oh, yeah. There you go. I don't know. Uh, so I've enth- that word, but I don't remember what it means. An enthymeme is a kind of a normal syllogism that's missing one of its premises. Oh, so, okay. for example, like if you've got that, you know, all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. An enthymeme is missing one of those premises. So you'd have something like, all men are mortal, therefore Socrates is mortal. And you're missing the premise, oh. Socrates is a man. So say like verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The four indicates a premise there. So you'd, you'd have something like the missing premise is all those uh, who, uh, who have the kingdom of heaven are blessed. The poor in spirit have the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, blessed are the poor in spirit. Huh. So it's so it's a it's a particular kind of argument, and it's used basically because it's not pedantic, right? So, I mean, if you had to include all those three statements, and it makes the hearer actually work a little bit harder, um, and it just leaves out something that is well known. Yeah. So it, it's assuming that you know that all those who have the kingdom of heaven are blessed, blessed. and what that means, right? Um, and so it doesn't it doesn't fill that out for you. And so it's it's assuming that you know the Old Testament or you know the scriptures on why those who have the kingdom of heaven are blessed. Oh, uh, that's really good. That's nice. I like that. Um, I had never uh, never seen that before. Right, because you're just filling it in automatically, uh, right? Without, without, with, what? I mean, you're not always consciously thinking about it. But that yeah, raises I, a question for us, I think, right? Because what yeah, does it because, mean to be right, blessed? Right. That's the, <laughs> that, that, right. And I mean, this is where right. The whole thing is that uh, right. Being blessed is not what what men call blessed, or what what it appears. Right. The the riches of men are not actual blessings, mm-hmm. um, because you know, the, uh, the love of money is the root of all evil and, and all of, right. I mean, the whole book of Proverbs is just trying to convince us over and over again that, right. That, that real wisdom is, is the fear of the Lord and trust in his promises, even in the midst of suffering. And, and that's, this is perfectly parallel to that. Um, yeah. It's almost like, you know, so you look at, um, what Proverbs five, six, seven, and eight, uh, and, Solomon goes to great lengths in those in in those chapters, if I recall, to make sin look bad, despite how it looks to us, and to make righteousness look beautiful. Yeah, and yeah. and it's almost like that's what's going on here too. Like right. he's arguing to give us a picture in our minds of what is really beautiful and what is really ugly. Right. If it wasn't for the corruption, right, this is the whole Romans one thing, but if it, mm-hmm. w- right, right, what's actually beautiful should be obvious to to natural reason or yeah. to, right, because it, 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 it's just, it's just that we're living in such a bizarro world and we're so corrupt <laughs> that we really don't know what's beautiful. Yeah, the carnival um, is here year round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and perversions are, you know, I mean, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, you're absolutely right. Um, that uh, I mean, in a way, what what you know, right? So all true wisdom 
uh, is godly wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, not all wisdom necessarily is salvific, right? But but just recognizing the goodness of what's good and the wickedness of what's wicked, mm-hmm. which even pagans ought to be able to do, and in fact often do do better than post Christian world. Yeah. So. Getting to the actual Beatitudes, what what's the best translation of that Marcario? Is it blessed? Is it happy? Is it some? Um, or do you just translate it and then have to explain it more? And which do you which, which do you choose? Yeah, I think I think blessed is the one um, because happy is so shallow in our world, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's uh, right. I and mean, Aristotle so uses this word. <laughs> what's what? So it's blessed. Blessed. I mean, okay. Well, I think I, I. I mean, I think I was. I think you got to explain it. And mm-hmm. uh, but I. I think I think bl- happy. I, I don't like happy at all. Content. You know what? What is he going to do? It, I mean, it just. It does. It is a. It is a theological word. Period. Fortunate. And so it's got to be. It's got to be. Uh, it's got to be unpacked. I mean, you can't just translate the word. You know, charis is grace, and then walk away. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> So I mean, this is this is also a theological jargon word that that you know that's why I mean actually that's what Jesus is doing right right in this in this uh, first seven verses he's you know there's there's something else about back to your logic thing um, which I think is related uh, and that is this whole idea of the sort of beauty of wisdom sayings is to try to get it down to as few words as possible. Mm. Uh, so this is a, a skill that we have really lost. Neil Postman talks about this, um, where like the ancients just, they, they revel in trying to be able to say this as quickly and succinctly as possible in a way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since we don't know what's significant, we just blither on. And, and there is a, there is a kind of, a just podcast like you, case in yeah, point. Pod, I know <laughs> I, I, was, I was realizing as I said that how damning of myself I was, but, but here you've got this, right? That the word blessed, right? It just like you're like, uh, I think this goes along with the fact that you've got an unstated premise. It's, it's a related reality, or maybe mm-hmm. it's the same reality that, that this is a packed thing that isn't meant to just be, you know, read quickly and then there, got it, understood. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like, uh, it's sort of like, it's sort of like we, you know, we teach our, we teach the children the proper distinction between law and gospel, and every once in a while you'll have one that will just simply memorize the definitions, right? Which is mm-hmm. pretty simple, and then and there's like done, got it, right? And unfortunately, we have pastors like that too, and they don't realize that this is actually this, this incredibly profound mystery that can never be fully comprehended by human intellect, and is the ongoing revelation of God through his word that requires us to continue to meditate and contemplate. And I mean, this is what we're going to do in heaven, even, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, Melanchthon says, this is the particularly glorious light. And he's right. Luther says, if you can do this, you deserve the doctor's hat. And he's right. But unfortunately, sometimes there's a kind of simplification of it. And we have people walking around thinking they deserve the doctor's hat. And Luther's point really is nobody deserves, nobody's Nobody's going to teach God how to properly distinguish between law and gospel. Nobody's a doctor, mm-hmm. and and this is a, a kind of similar thing that there's. This is meant to be, right? It's it's very succinct and it's very simple, right? And and easily understood at one level. At the same time, you know, great, profound, beauty, beautiful truth is being conveyed, and the heart of the Father 
himself is being open to us. And it's not just that we want to bask in it. It's that there's a lot here. Yeah. Well, it's, it's our tendency to want to take, um, to take these things in scripture and, you know, make it like a mathematical law. Yeah. So, I, I was gonna, it, so you right. can just plug in the numbers and it just comes out like it's a calculator or, you know, by like we've, I've got a, a book around here somewhere that's like Bible lists and charts, you know, <laughs> and I'm sure there's one for the Beatitudes and it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, we want to reduce everything to this, you know, even the 10 commandments. I've been sort of mad about this lately. Uh, that the way we teach the Ten Commandments, which of course the church has been doing this at least since the resurrection now, numbering them in lists and, and having them memorized. And I'm, I'm for memorizing them, but you know, we really should just give them Exodus chapter 20 and you should memorize the whole thing and we should worry less about the numbering, right? Or trying to just get to the, is that, I don't, I, I don't know if I even know what I'm saying, but there's a, there's a something broken in us that doesn't want to receive God's word as his revelation, but is just looking for the information. Yeah. Right. There's, I mean, there, there's a sense in that too, with just the chapter and verses, right? Yeah, right, right. Where you can um, very easily kind of miss the overarching argument of an entire book or section because you're just lifting things out of context and you're, you know what are they? What do they call that when you're proof texting? Right? Is that's the word? Yeah. Um, and but I would never want to give up my no, no. <laughs> my chapters and verses. So it's kind of one of those things where you need to recognize that these helpful tools are tools. Yeah. And you know, if all that you have is a hammer, then everything becomes a nail. But we don't just have hammers. And recognizing that we have more tools at our disposal, like lists are great. I think they're very helpful in helping us to uh, see things that we would not ordinarily see, right? Like take Moses and Jesus and just start comparing and contrasting and make that list. That doesn't say all that there is, but it does bring you into um, a depth of the scriptures that you might not have had if you didn't just take the time to make the list and the chart. Right. Uh, so I wouldn't want to throw all those out, but I wouldn't want to operate as though that were the end all be all instead of going through the text and reading slowly so that you get the idea um, as you're reading, Hey, you know, Moses is, or Jesus is a lot like Moses, you know, as you're reading through Matthew or even, yeah. Um, and then making the list. Does well, I think that's yeah. I think it's. I think the problem is it's. It's really great for the guy that makes the list. The 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 sort of problem is that we all have is that you know somebody else made the list. We just look at the list and we think we've we think we understand it. Oh right. You know. So it's. Uh, we, but anyway, we better get to these texts. Yes. Because we got stuff we need to say. And speaking of lists, I I would divide the beatitudes. <laughs> I think there's a structure here that's worth noticing. So, uh, because the first three, or however many it is, first four, right, are are this whole reversal thing, right? So we have mm -hmm. poor in spirit, but they actually have the kingdom of God. They're mourning, but they're going to be comforted. They're they're meek, but they're going to inherit the earth, right? Hunger and thirsty, but they're going to be filled or satisfied. So you've got those first four are are 
the reality that can't be seen. They're not what the world thinks of them, right? They belong to God. They're loved by God. Though they suffer, they still are ruling alongside of God, right? The, the kingdom is theirs, uh, even though they lack material things, suffer injustice, and so forth. So that's the first part. And then it moves, I think, in the 7 to 10, uh, is really is presenting the virtues of those who have been given the kingdom by grace, along with the rewards that come from come with those virtues. So to be merciful, that's a virtue, and it, it comes back in mercy. To be pure in heart is to is to have the beatific vision. Uh, to be a peacemaker is to be is then also going to be to be the be a son of God. And then finally, to be persecuted for righteousness' sake brings us back to the beginning, right? That you actually are a co-ruler with God in His kingdom. Well, what do you do with the meek? Because that's a virtue, and that's humility. Uh, well, the uh, where's the meek? What, Verse what five. Oh yeah. Well, because the uh, I I I think I don't think that's a I I'm not reading that as a as a subjective meekness, but objective. So I was reading it as the, the humble who don't have anything, uh, rather than the humble who are you know have the right attitude of heart. Okay, it, it can be read either way. I mean, you know, if the word can, and I don't, and I don't mean to say that this is strict, but I do think if you put it that way, there is a there's a movement or there's yeah, yeah. a division. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and then the last section is the most interesting, and I think actually the point that all this wisdom leads to because there's this this really key that it changes from third person to second person mm-hmm. uh, blessed are you right that it, it it's sort of as though we've been talking you know abstractly about other people and then it's oh no we weren't talking about other people right blessed are you when when these terrible things happen to you rejoice and be exceedingly glad because you're just like the saints who've gone before you uh, and and this is the way that that we're headed, right? So, I think that uh, that's really a. I think so. There you go. I think the structure of the thing there is very helpful to sort of think about and to recognize the movement and the argument that's actually being made. So the argument is there are reversals. Here are the and here's what the reversals look like. And then the second movement is these are the characteristics or the how did you put it? I said virtues, but right. Yeah, the, the virtues and and the attendant rewards. Yeah, and then the, then it moves to the second person. Yeah. So right. So you've got I, yeah reversals. I shouldn't have used that language. I would say, but probably better than reversal is that things aren't the way they seem. Okay. Right. But 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 yeah, there there is this pr- and this promise of future reward. But then the and so so that's the first part, right? You, you're poor in spirit, but you're gonna get this, right? You're mourning, but you're gonna get this. And that but the the virtue thing, seven to ten, um, you know, is that there is a reward now already in in sanctification, right? That that what God has wrought in us through the forgiveness of sins is its own reward, right? Already now. To be to to obtain mercy, to see God, to be called the sons of God, to have the kingdom. Those of are heaven. still in the future tense. Yeah, but they're well. Some of them are, some of them aren't, um, or one of them isn't, I guess. But they're still in the future tense. But uh, they're they're attendant, I think. Right. So 
blessed are the merciful for, for they shall obtain mercy. So they have this funny thing. With, so Wallace goes into this about, you know, sometimes it, it is crazy. It sounds crazy to English speakers, right? But the future tense is sometimes used as a present reality, yeah. right? Um, you know, and so it's like, it's sort of like if we said, sometimes you can say, if I said, blessed are those who do their homework and study hard, for they will obtain an A, right? You, it, it might be, you don't have that now. This is a, this is delayed gratification promise, right? So, so fully in terms of temporal, mm -hmm. right? This is a future thing you're going to be given. But I could also, you know, if I said at the same time, you know, blessed are those who, who, who study hard or do their homework, uh, you know, uh, for they are learning, right? Or they will, they will learn, right? Even though it's in the, in the future tense, it's, a, it's happening now mm. because it's a conditional reality, right? So if right. I say, if you stop crying, you know, when you stop, I don't know, I can't even, I can't even do it now, but you know, when you stop crying, you know, then I'll talk to you, uh, you know, so that sort of thing, it's going to happen immediately. Gotcha. Yeah. I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah, it's it's a I can't remember the exact language, but Wallace talks about this. You know, he's really I I love Wallace. I love that book, and uh, it's amazing how these tenses work, and they're so much more complicated than they appear. And again, in English, we do have this incredible weakness that we don't think much about aspect, whether you know an action is ongoing or is completed, or we it, it's just hard for us to think in those terms, and we also. Uh, we're just so kind of literal with past, present, future that we don't we, we think of those we think of those more concretely than in a way they are at least grammatically. Mm -hmm. So we, we sort of get because English is just that that's the main purpose of our tenses, right? Yeah. Is uh, the the Wallace book is that what Beyond the Basics? Uh, let me see. I got it right here. Yes, that's it. Greek grammar beyond the basics. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you, are you familiar with it? Do you no, use it? I have it and I use it periodically. Yeah. I, it's sort of like reading a dictionary. It's a reference book. It's not a book you read straight through, but uh, it's no. one of those, it's one of those things where I, but I have this habit. I mean, I know this is pretty common. Lots of us do, right? You, you, you end up reading a dictionary for, you know, you, you want to go look up one thing and 45 minutes later, you're still perusing because <laughs> it's so fun. Well, I, Wallace is like that too. You, I'll go to look up one thing and I'll just keep reading because it's so fun. Yeah, that's not me. Really? No. I would have thought we got a, our school library got a copy of the Oxford English Dictionary, full thing. Yeah. Well, I will Super do that. Fun. But you wouldn't do it in Wallace? It, really? Yeah, no. Well, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyway. So, so the I think that's the way I would argue on this. I, I think there's a structure here. Maybe I'm imposing it, and I do think it does work for what it's worth. That structure can be a kind of sermon outline. Mm. So, I mean, you you can kind of you could kind of follow this, and I, we do do this. I think instinctively a lot of times in preaching, right? That yeah. that we start ta we're talking about the guy in the text, you know, sort of like Nathan to David. Hey, there was this guy. And, uh, but then it ends up you, right? We, right. we, we always want to make this sort of application. And, uh, so then how is this all functioning for the hearers then and now, as you're hearing these things, um, and Jesus is making this argument to us about what is blessed, what is actually blessed and how it is blessed. Um, 
what is that is that what is that conjuring in our minds? Are we nodding along? Are we are we looking at them like, hmm, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, it depends, right? If this is uh it's sort of I mean, it sort of sounds in, in, in many ways there's correspondence between this this, you know, religious reality and idea and stoicism, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I always say, you know, Marcus Aurelius is the greatest Stoic, but it's easy to be a Stoic if you're the emperor, right? Right. I mean, it, it does make it a lot easier. Uh, and I think, you know, it depends when and where we're hearing this, right? When we're sitting in church on Sunday morning, you know, and, and uh, you know, we're not under direct, a th- direct threat, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's pretty easy to swallow this stuff. But and and to believe it, of course, it's much more difficult in the in the middle of of pain and sorrow, which is why we need to learn it before we're there. Yeah. So that so that we can we can learn to confess it and prepare for it. So, I think we, you know, this is the problem again with kind of wisdom sayings. Is like a, this is a simple concept. It's not difficult, but you know, in in proverbs, for example, you just keep saying it over and over again, because even though it's a simple concept. It, it deserves attention, and it's actually, it's one thing to know it intellectually, it's another thing to believe it. Mm-hmm. And we have to bring our intellect into line, or we have to bring our hearts into line with our intellect in this case, right? That this is what God says, and this is what, what I believe, and this is what's going to cause the decisions that I make, and so forth. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not really the gospel in in this, you know, if you want to go court to law gospel way. I mean, the gospel's all really implied, or it's again, it's almost like your premise that isn't stated. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you do have this in you know verse four. Uh, this word for comforted is paraclete, right? So you do have that you know kind of tie. What does it mean to be comforted? Is to have the Holy Spirit, right? Those who <laughs> go back to those who have the Holy Spirit are believers, and the Holy Spirit forgives sins, right? I mean, and mm-hmm. you've got a few other places where there's you know mercy, of course. Um, to see God is to have faith, um, and to be called the sons of God is to be baptized. Mm-hmm. Uh, to have the kingdom of heaven also is to, again to be a believer. But but all of that it, it does require kind of background information or you know the recognition that that we're talking about. Yeah. So you know, you said, well, how do you translate blessed? You know, I mean, faith is is another. I mean, this he is this is a description of faith, right? Mm-hmm. But faith isn't a very good translation. Um, but that is ultimately to be blessed is to be at peace with God through the forgiveness of sins and the mm-hmm. reconciliation that He has won, and to to wait and to trust on Him. I mean, you could also say this is the fear of the Lord, right? Yeah. I mean, it's all the same kind of thing. So, what's it doing to us? I think what it's doing to us is catechizing us. Yeah. So, what what kind of thing do we have? now in our day that is similar to this kind of beatitude type of speech i mean is it like a toast is it i don't is think it a have congr- it. is it like a congratulations meme i, don't, I yeah yeah i i don't think we have wisdom literature today <laughs> I, I mean i really i think i think nothing you, that passes for it nothing well that yeah, probably memes because we've become so visual. It's got to have a picture, yeah. and you know this is the problem. Um, and then that's why we don't have any patience for this, right? I mean, um, you know, you have we have some wisdom sayings. You know, don't count your chickens. Don't what is it? Don't count your don't count something before it hatches. Don't, you know, we have these these sorts of things that are you know proverbial 
old wives tales or or cliches that go about mm-hmm. aphorisms but, things aphor- like that. but but you know they but i don't i mean i'm i i they are wisdom literature in a sense but i just they're you know they're the other thing with them compared and of course this is true of other wisdom literature in the ancient world outside the bible i mean it tends to be very kind of practical stuff like about you know how to make good decisions or how to not get in trouble whereas the the bible's wisdom literature there's a correspondence to that some of that sometimes yeah but it's never about that right it's it's really all about actually living a life of faith trusting in god and waiting for him to reveal himself even you know when you have like you know in proverbs the and then jesus repeats it take the lower seat so you'll be right asked to go up higher I mean, that isn't really telling you how to behave in a party to gain honor among men. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're not directions on what to do. Right. Because even in the Proverbs, it's just stating a fact of reality. Right. Yeah. So, if you <laughs> expect, if you, you know, rebuke a fool, that you're going to be scorned. Right. Right. It, this is just how things are. But what, well, but they're also, uh, right. So they're, they're never exactly how to behave because that, because that one, for example, doesn't mean never rebuke a fool. fool right. right. Uh, right. So it's, they're, because they're really right after it tells, me, tells you to do it. <laughs> right. Right. So it's, they're always like, they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're teaching, you know, theological principles of what it is to be, again, to be reconciled to God and to live in this world that can't be seen by the eyes and, and I mean, in a way, the the other aphorisms, don't count your chickens before they hatch or whatever, mm-hmm. aren't exact directions either, but they're more, they're not theological. They, they are about how to get ahead or how to make as few mistakes as possible in this life. Mm-hmm. Whereas don't, you know, don't rebuke a fool is, is more about um, what is the cost of, of preaching the, of preaching the truth and of warning people and you know, go into this with your eyes open and sometimes maybe keep your mouth shut sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a much more complicated thing in terms of it's not just how do you make friends and influence people, but it's how do you love your neighbor and love God, right? Yeah. All right. So then, then we have some things to kind of wrap our heads around. Like, what does it mean to be the poor in spirit? Or, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> or, I mean... I, some of these things I think we understand, but I don't get peacemakers. Oh, really? I don't, I don't quite. Yeah. In what way? Like oh, I just all, always. Yeah. I, I love covers a multitude of sins. Okay. So I mean, just at the surface level, I mean, just living in peace with other people and, and being kind and generous and not being a, a jerk. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. the, actually to look over other people's weaknesses and flaws. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think that's, that's part of it, but I think also I, I, my translation leaves number nine out. <laughs> really? No. Oh, <laughs> I, oh, your own I, personal I, translation. I'm reading the Jefferson Bible and there it, we go. it crossed out. Blessed are the peacemakers. Right, you're not interested in, in, uh, it just, being says, nice. it just says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and shall be called sons of God. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I think peacemakers also, though, has to do with actually preaching the gospel, okay, or, or witnessing. So I think it's I think it's both, right? That it's also right those who actually, you know, do the work of evangelists. Mm-hmm. And well, uh, see, that's my that's my, I guess where I'm 
trying to get at here, because you get to verse 12, or verse 11 and verse 12, uh, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That means that it's known that you are with him. Yeah. Right? So, in what way are all of these blesseds actually making the making some sort of case that this demonstrates that you are with Jesus. Yeah. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, I think I think they all do that, right? That to that that every one of this all of these things in the first half of the statement are are the consequence of faith. Okay. Right? You're 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 poor in spirit. I think that that probably has to do with humility more than the, and um in the subjective sense. Than, than meekness in this context, right? To be poor in spirit means not to be haughty, right? And not to be like the Pharisees, you know, all those sorts of, or, you know, the modern uh, critical race theory people. I mean, they're so self-righteous, right? We're not supposed to be like that, mm-hmm. right? And I and that's that actually comes from, again, the forgiveness of sins and the humility that realizes we're forgiven and we didn't earn it. I, I think that actually mourning, uh, that in this context, there's a certain sense that, of course, people never like hearing this, that unbelievers aren't capable of actual love, mm-hmm. um, that because love is a theological virtue and is given to faith. And I mean, they have, it, it's not that there can't be some sort of civic version of this, but it's not the same thing. And therefore, they can't mourn. Mourning mm-hmm. is how you love people who have died. And because we have such a bond with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we feel this much more deeply mm-hmm. than unbelievers, right? Um, yeah. And and so and also then of course right otherwise and that's where the comfort comes and here's your sort of probably your all saints tie right that yeah your your mourning is legitimate and it's appropriate right uh, it, you know I know we I know this is kind of common pastoral you know advice to those who mourn but this is what we're right frequently telling people it's okay in fact it's right to be sad something would be wrong with you if you weren't sad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so well, this is the appropriate response. It would be inappropriate to despair and to wail as though we did not know that your loved one lives and you'll see him again. But, right. So, I mean, that's, again, I would say that's, right. I mean, it, so on the surface, it looks like that could be true of unbelievers, but it isn't. Not just that they won't be comforted, but they can't really mourn because what they're doing is inappropriate. Either they, they think the person's gone forever and they think their own, they're going to be gone forever, and they uh, they can't be comforted, and they can't love the same way. Yeah. So anyway, you could go walk through the whole list. I think all of these are actually consequences. So even in, in the first half, where they're sort of on the surface, they look like negative things, right? Who wants to be poor? Who wants to mourn? Who wants to be meek? Uh, and then in the second half, they look their their virtues. They're still both of them are consequences of faith. Or grow. I mean, whatever word you want to use, the grow out of faith are, well, and, and I mean, all of them are. Yeah, I think cons- I like consequence. I'm sticking with it. What's wrong with consequence? Um, nothing. I mean, oh, it just. I felt like I was being judged by you. I uh, know. No. no. <laughs> Never. You mean like effects of faith. Is that what you mean by consequence? Yeah. 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 The right. I thought there was. I thought somebody. And our circles doesn't like that word, but I can't remember I, why. Yeah. No, it, but it's kind of, um, you know, like it's necessary, right? Yeah. It's a necessary thing that follows as a consequence from faith. 
Yeah, the, right. The, the forgiveness of sins and the new birth that is given from above by grace causes a change in human beings. Mm-hmm. And th- this is the way it is observable. Like to get back to your point, right? These are not secret, yeah. <laughs> private things, right? These are, these are known to the world. Right. They may not recognize them for what they are. That's part of the, that's kind of the first half, right? Yeah. But, but they are recognized. Yeah. They're not, they're not antecedent to faith to the consequent of it. Yeah. Right. Right. And they're not, and, and they're not private. Um, so, all right. So on all saints, then this is describing the whole ball of wax of what the Christian faces. Right. Yeah. And then also then provides the, um, then I guess the necessary conditions that we will be vindicated. Right. So I, I think, and this is why th- this is a beautiful text for all saints back to the structure thing, because, you know, the first 10 verses are in the third person, right? So we're, Jesus isn't saying you yet, but mm-hmm. he's talking about other people. And, you know, this is very easy and natural and correct that we would see our own departed loved ones. So we blend, I, maybe we should have talked about that, Right, we blend, and and Lutherans have traditionally blended all saints with all souls, mm-hmm. right? Um, because we don't, right? So uh, what what we're all this is always really for for most Lutherans and in the history of Lutheranism where this has been observed, though it wasn't always the huge feast it is now. Um, it, it's uh, it's really a kind of Totenfest where we. Right, we commemorate the faithful departed, not just yes. the heroes of the faith, but also our own loved ones, anyone who's gone on the sign of faith, and we don't make it really a distinction between them. So, so anyway, the, the three through ten, right, the blessed are they, is 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 very right and natural to apply to our own people, mm-hmm. and to say they've come to all of this, right? They're no longer suffering in any way, and then you know, t- eleven to twelve is just beautiful, but you know. This is already a reality for you, also, because there's only one church, and I think it leads very naturally to, you know, the proper preface with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven. Yeah, uh, that we rightly do think about. We we are con- so there's some doctrinal issues that that ought to be at least working in the background, right? That uh, on all saints, the the immortality of the soul, right? <laughs> I mean that's sort of obvious for Christians, but also the intermediate the intermediate state of the soul is of is of concern on this day, and this is a hard day to be a believer in soul sleep. Um, mm-hmm. I never am anyway. I think it's I know it's an open question, but I just think all the evidence in the scriptures very much points to the fact that the saints have not just gone immediately been taken outside of the flow of time and taken directly to the last day. And and there, I don't want to get into it, but but in any case, it would be irreverent to speak about about the intermediate state of the soul in uh, of the faithful in a way that uh, would deny that they are currently right now being comforted and enjoying these things mm-hmm. and praying for us. So, because th- those are those are important promises that are made in Scripture, and. You know how you want to get around that if you want to kind of go with Luther on the soul sleep thing. Good luck, but don't 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 uh, by all means don't deny the the Christians on Earth the comfort that they deserve 
with these promises. Right, that they are at rest or at Abraham's side or yeah, seeing Felicity. the face of Jesus. Yeah, right. And that it, right. With exactly. Christ. Right. And that this paradise. then will be, yeah. Yeah, all that, right. In fact, uh, I'm glad you brought up that list because I was going to point out, I really, John Stevenson's Eschatology volume yeah. is very useful in preparation for this day. And he has a, a, a whole section on the part two of the book, The End of Man, The Microcosm. And so it's about temporal death and all this stuff. He's got this great list on page 38. I love this. I've used, I've used this multiple times. As Are I you think. talking about the, the sweet names of death? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the sweet names of death. He has, so I'll just give them to you quick. He's got six of them. Sleeping or falling, and he gives all the biblical references, mm-hmm. but sleeping or falling asleep, being gathered to one's people, resting from one's labor, Mm-hmm. being in Abraham's bosom, being at home with the Lord, departing to be with Christ. Uh, and I think Gerhardt, Ger- that new Gerhardt volume, I mean, it's not that new, it's quite quite old, but the new translation of uh, uh, Gerhardt with uh, hell and the end of things, Yeah, I left my copies at my house, so this morning I didn't have it. But I think, it seems to me, I haven't looked at it real deeply yet, I think he has a list like that too. And well, that could uh, be a marvelous one. Oh, maybe it's Peep. You know what? I think I used the Peeper one before I found the Stevenson one. But yeah, Peeper has it in on temporal death. It's it's actually in a footnote, um, and then he has a nice Luther quote about it um, in the footnote. But it, yeah, it's an entire listing of the sweet names of death, and he has gathered unto one's fathers, um, seeing the face of Jesus in Revelation twenty two. Um, yeah, with Christ. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, all the so other it, ones you've mentioned, yeah. It, it's worth I've used that. I don't know if I've ever used it on All Saints. I've used it at funerals. Yeah, um, I just used it at a funeral actually. Yeah. Good. It's it's very comforting and I think it's it's appropriate um to teach people how to that these aren't clichés or euphemisms. Um these are descriptions in God's own word of the reality and yeah, and uh, <laughs> I know I closed the book, but uh, Stevenson has this thing about gallows humor that that tries to mock death, but it's sort of shallow about, you know, like kick the bucket and mm. that kind of stuff. And it's, let me see if I can find it real quick. I just closed it. Well, that that is actually good. I mean, it is a way of reframing the reality properly, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what these beatitudes and even what the Proverbs are doing, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're describing what is actually the reality, despite what our fallen flesh sees or feels. Yeah, the problem with the sort of, I mean, gallows humor has its place, but the problem when it comes to death in with this kinds of phraseology, I think, is that it's irreverent. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so there's a time to mock Satan or to mock, right, oh, oh, death, where is thy sting? But when when we speak of, we shouldn't speak of the death of our loved ones with these kinds of crude expressions. It's certainly not you know, it'd be insensitive. So anyway, it's a great section. Those, th- those, those chapters, it's probably only 15 pages, but y- useful preparation for funerals or for all saints. Yeah. Um, so what are you, what are you preaching? Oh, I don't what's know. Your theme? I'm sorry. I might theme. Yeah. Well, you I'm, want to talk I'm, about a little bit. Well, the, yeah. Let's look at revelation. Uh, what is it? reading revelation, revelation seven. seven. Isn't that it? That's it. Okay, I'm just jumping to it. So, oh yeah, I Nine love to, yeah. 17. 
9 to 17, or you can start at 2, which is what I do. Do you really? uh, Yeah, I love making these readings longer. I shouldn't probably say that in public. My people might find out we're reading longer. (laughs) They don't know. They don't know what the lecture, right? I could read anything. Uh, I mean, they'd know if I didn't read Luke 2 on Christmas Eve, and there's a few others. But if I make them longer, they don't know. You're right. Somewhere I read years and years ago, I read uh, a rubric that said that, that the the bishop, which in our case is us, right, can always expand the readings. It always has that prerogative. Okay. Uh, it's hard. You know, I just, you know, I love the Bible. And I, so anyway, I love this. This is great if you start in two. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth and the sea and the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, so forth, all the way through. And then that's through verse 8 is all the tribes. I love naming those tribes. Again, it's poetic. You know, it has that rhythm and it has that forcing us to to sort of sit through the listing of them. Mm-hmm. But that, I, th- you know, it's good for us. All right, so then verse 9 is where I guess... The real reading starts. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hand, and so forth. So I'm just trying to rush because I know we're running out of time. Uh, you know, the, the the Revelation reading, in some ways, is the main reading for the day. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of like on Pentecost, the Acts reading is the main reading. Um you know, so the Beatitudes are. I'm, I'm not meaning don't preach on the Beatitudes, but I think what what uh, what the Revelation reading does is gives us such a vivid and important picture of actually heaven, right? Right. So the Beatitudes are are done in this, you know, the, again this this wisdom literature way, and the Revelation reading is a narrative and is is much more descriptive directly. And I think there's a a few things that are really worth noting. Um, you know, the universality, of course, that, that heaven's not just Jews, which is not news to us, but, but needs to be stated, and, uh, or it needs to be, you know, at least preached at some level, that all, all Gentiles, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues. And I like to point out that, uh, that John can recognize them, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he can see the differences between them. They have not become generic people. Right. right. It's not like, board. right. Or, you know, all of a sudden, you know, everybody in heaven's white or everybody's, you know, I mean, we don't all look the same. We, the distinctive characteristics you can tell, oh, he's a, he's not a Jew. He's not a, he's not a German. He's not a, right. Oh, there's a, there's one Norwegian here. Uh, no, <laughs> but anyway, right. Whoever it is, and you got this. And then also their tongues, right. That, uh, that that he he hears their distinct languages. This is, of course, you know, the continuation of Pentecost and the re- the reversal of the curse of Babel is not that we go back to one language, but the reversal of the of the of the curse of Babel is that it's no longer a curse, right? And that all languages are blessed, blessed. yeah, right. And 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 all languages are are not only capable of of preaching the gospel and praising God, but they are doing it. And here we see it in heaven. They don't all start speaking Hebrew. Yeah. So I think you just said something really, really profound that I wonder if we could talk about that in relation to the Beatitudes. You said that here we see the languages are still there 
and it's a reversal of the curse of Babel, namely that it's no longer a curse, but it's a blessing. In what way, in what way is that going on with what our Lord is saying? Like so post crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, that these things that were seen as curses are no longer curses, but they are tidings of goodness and being fortunate and blessedness. Yes, but only in the rear view mirror. Yeah, yeah. But he's telling us about it beforehand. Right. No, absolutely. Like the cross, right? The cross is his glorification, even though it's this great injustice and and wickedness. But it... um, so I, I think it's, I mean, we talk about this a lot. We talk about suffering, mm-hmm. and the example I always use are the Marines, right? Yeah. Well, the, the Marine kid, or the, the, the kid in boot camp, right, in the middle of it, wishes it would be over and wish it, wishes it was easier, right? He just yeah. wants to take a nap, and he can't take a nap. But afterwards, he's proud of his suffering, yeah. and he recognizes it was formative and that it's made him strong. Right, no marine says, "I wish boot camp would have been easier." In fact, they all say it's it was harder when I went through. Right, right, and and it's this like is we the, do with seminary. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we do with everything. I mean, it's so ridiculous. But when I was in high school, I had to walk right. oh, boy. school right. uphill both ways, <laughs> in six feet of snow, barefoot, and I liked yeah. it. That's right. So there is. I think that's exactly right. Um, that uh, that these things are that we are in fact being blessed through our sufferings and through the crosses that God gives. It's not as though He gives them, right? They're not tests in the sense of uh, He's going to see if we're good enough or not. You know, yeah. they're actually you know well, the I mean, trials. That, yeah, they're they're strengthenings. It, yeah, and also that He has made all things new. Yeah. Right? So this is no longer a mark of these things are no longer marks of being cursed. But yeah. rather of being blessed, yeah, yeah. Whether or not we receive it that way, and you know, and and we we can't always receive it that way in the moment. No, um, you know, because we are of the flesh, and and even Jesus, uh, you know, uh, chafes. Uh, is, you know, I mean, we have the whole Garden of Gethsemane thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that he's asking for it actually to be removed, but he, right? That's a kind of bit of indirect speech where he's really saying. Uh, you better go with me, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of come down with Fritz on this point. I, I think he's more concerned not about this actual suffering, but about the the forsaking of being forsaken by his father. Yeah. He's been, he spent, he, his whole goal is to please his father. And right. He knows that taking on the sin of the world will make him be um, rejected. Yeah. Right. He, so he's what he's saying is, look, I'm doing this, right? And right. and uh, I'm going, and and you know, you need to keep your promise and come with me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I'm going to be forsaken, but I'm I'm looking to the other side. Yeah. And you know, so it's a, uh, it, it's like when, uh, you know, you, you're you're getting ready for work in the morning, and your kid comes out of the bedroom, and you look in there, and the bed's not made, and you say, you know, uh, are you going to make that? You know, are you going to make your bed? Right. It's not a. It's not a. It's not actually a request for information. It's a mm-hmm. command. Right. <laughs> and in a similar way, when when Jesus asks for this to be, you know, or you know, the classic example, does this dress make me look fat or whatever it is? I mean, we do this all the time in normal speech, and Jesus does it regularly. The Bible does it. Mm-hmm. Cain asks, "Am I my brother's keeper?" Right. It's not like he's. It's not like he's trying to figure that out. 
right? He's telling God, I'm not my brother's keeper. Why are you asking? You shouldn't be asking me this. It's inappropriate for you to ask me where Abel is, right? That's right. that's the, that's the statement that he's making. And so similar thing, right? Uh, take this cup from me doesn't really mean take this cup from me. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a plea between a, a son and a father. Not that he doubts what's going to happen, but he's saying, look, I'm, I need you. I love you. You got to come with me and you got to mm-hmm. keep your promise and be on the other side. So yeah, I, I think you're right. The forsaking, well, the, I mean, the, I don't, the forsaking is the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't remember how we got there. I don't either. It was fun though. For yeah. Me. <laughs> well, anyway, so this whole heaven stuff back to uh, this, it is <laughs> glorious, this revelation reading, um, you know, and again, so back to the Beatitudes, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. And uh, so, you know, the commentator's like, oh, which, which great tribulation? Um, I, I think it's, I think everybody that dies comes out of the great tribulation. The great tribulation is to live on this side of glory with the ruler of this world tormenting us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, it's a great tribulation to, to, to be a Christian in an evil world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I don't mean that, you know, everybody suffers the same, but everybody suffers in a way that's appropriate to him. And we get the crosses that are good for us. And if that means, you know, being, uh, the deacon from Rome, whose name escapes me, that gets roasted alive. What's why Lawrence, right? Yeah. So if, uh, you know, if you're Lawrence and you get roasted alive, that's good for Lawrence. And, uh, did he suffer worse than you did? Well, nothing has befallen you that is not common to man. Mm-hmm. You're getting the cross appropriate for you. Um, if you want to be roasted, go ahead, pray for that. But I, I don't think actually Lawrence's suffering is worse than yours. Right, right. Is the point. Um, and it's, it's not unique a contest. To each person. Yeah, yeah I mean, and there are degrees. made in that way, right? Right. There are degrees of glory, and it may be that Lawrence's glory in heaven will be greater. Um, his bliss won't be greater. His happiness won't be greater, right? I mean, that that's we'll all be in the presence of God, but we're not going to all be equals. There's still a hierarchy in heaven and order, uh, but we're not going to be, there's no jealousy, there's no oppression, there's no tyranny. But we also, you know, we're not, we don't know, um, you know, you could get to heaven and find out Lawrence's deeds aren't the, aren't as great as they seemed. And, you know, your grandmas were actually spectacular and unseen by the world or unnoticed for the most part. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's like C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, right? Right. I mean, I don't know. I I think that's a, I I don't actually expect that to be Mm -hmm. the case, but, but it's worth, it's worth stating and noting that there are, there will be surprises. Right. And there are great good works of faith uh, and mercy that are going on that we, that we are oblivious to um, because of, again, because just like we can't recognize beauty. So you get that great thing. They've come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes, made them white, right? And they're mm-hmm. before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And then you have this almost direct correspondence to the Beatitudes, right? They shall hunger no more, nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, waters uh, and, and tears, so the comforting. You don't have every Beatitude listed there, but you certainly have three or four of them. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. All right, so, well, yeah. What are we going to preach on this? I don't know. Well, what about just, um, you know, for the purists, transfer or not? 
Oh, yeah. I, I like the transfer. There's Again, there's that rubric in SB&H, Service Book and Hymnal from 1953 or 51, that, that says it's you may every year transfer, and, or observe, rather, uh, Reformation on the last Sunday in October and All Saints on the first Sunday in November. You know, All Saints has become this huge festival for modern American Lutherans. Um, it's kind of replaced Reformation, which I don't like. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I love All Saints like everybody does. It's kind of like everybody's favorite Sunday because it's so comforting and the music is not Lutheran. And so it's really spectacular and fun to <laughs> sing. Uh, and uh, it, it is, is a great Lutheran. day. The, what, 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 which it's hymns are like the, Scandinavian? Oh, Scandinavian Lutherans. Yeah, well, they're, they're not German Lutherans. They're, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. Scandinavian Lutheran hymns. I mean, I suppose you're one of those, all the saints, which is for all the saints, which is Anglican, yeah. right? So the uh, but you have behold a host, right? And you have you do have the Bach, um, Lord thee at last. You know that's the end of the Saint John's Passion. So you have that. That's Lutheran. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay, we got one. Anyway, they're great hymns. I love them, of course, like everybody does. They they are they are tear jerkers. That's it's wonderful. It's great, and it's an important doctrine that needs to be celebrated and observed. And there and the fact that it's become so important to the piety of our people shouldn't be resisted. I guess. Okay. I so I think it's it's absolutely worth and appropriate observing it on a Sunday so that everybody can participate and to recognize that it's a it's an important day that should be marked by a Sunday. Mm-hmm. I, however, the caveat I would have is if you're going to do it, then do Reformation also, because Reformation used to be like this for our people, and it no longer is. And I'm a little bit suspicious. Is the problem is we like All Saints because All Saints is ecumenical, yeah, right? Because everybody's going to be in heaven that's a believer, which is true, and it's a again, it's a, it's absolutely worth and right to celebrate. But Reformation is the is important too because that's our doctrinal day. And where we recognize, you know, the the, yeah. Well, anyway, so that's my that's my spiel. I know the purists are going to hate this and be mad that we didn't do whatever it's supposed to be the twenty twenty three. Yeah, but oh, well. I think it's I think it I you know well and I and I'll just get your own podcast then. Yeah, that's get your own podcast. There you go. <laughs> you do it every Sunday you want. The uh, I did actually, and to my embarrassment, when when I was first at Redeemer, like the first or second year. We had a joint rep, uh, joint Reformation or a joint All Saints. It was midweek with some other con- you know good congregations in town, and so we tried to make a big deal of it. And uh, I said, "Well, I'm not going to do it on Sunday, also, because you know then you won't come on Thursday or whatever day it was." And uh, well, they didn't come on Thursday anyway. And on Sunday, when it wasn't All Saints, they were mad. People, people were mad, and I mean, I don't think they were going to throw me out over it. But I didn't find out because the next year we did it. And I, I, th- I mean, I, I felt, uh, you know, I think that they were right mm-hmm. and that they have the right to kind of say, this isn't like they're asking for something outrageous. Right. You know, it's sort of like Trinity Sunday. You know, the Trinity Sunday was forced on the clergy by the lay people because of their piety. And, and I think we have a similar, I, but that wouldn't be the case today. No, they wouldn't care about Trinity today, but they care about all saints. Yeah. I mean, and pious people care about all saints. Yeah. So let them have it. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks for your time, hey, Dave. Thank you. God bless. Talk to you soon. Bye.